people always assume that because I'm such a football guy and I'm going into teaching and coaching that when I have kids, especially sons, that it's going to be, you know, just non-negotiable that they're going to play football. And I've always said when people bring that up to me, it's like, no, you know, if I want them to try football, at least, you know, if they're my son, you know, and they're around their old man enough, they're probably going to develop a love for the game, sure. you know, just through being around me. But if they try football for a year or two and it's just not for them, that's fine, you know, but they're going to find something else to do, whether that's another sport, whether they want to be in marching band or concert choir or show choir, or they want to be in skills USA, build stuff with their hands or, I don't care what it is, as long as they have something that they're passionate about and they're not just sitting at home every day after school, you know, finding ways to get into trouble. And you know, that's that's the long and the short of it. It's like I love football. Football is one of the three most important things in my life after faith and family, and then it goes football, and then food is right after that. But um, um, if it's not if it's not something that they're you know the sun in their own solar system, then that's fine. And I'm glad that you mentioned marching band uh, because there are just as many, you know, scholarship opportunities out there for for the arts as there are for mm-hmm. athletics. So, uh, and hey, you don't have to be. I mean, he can look a little bit more like me with a little bit. You know, I want him to be healthy, but if he's got a little spare tire, I'm not going to, you know, beat him over the head with it. Um, uh, but I'm, I, yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned your kind of uh, hierarchy of priorities because my high school baseball coach, you know, speaking of me being so athletically inclined, I knew my role. I was the bench warmer and and that was my role. Um, but he, he said, you know what? He's like, I know, you know, some of you guys might have girlfriends or, or, you know, other distractions, but this is, this is what you got to do to play on this team. If we're going to be successful, your, your priorities got to be in order, uh, faith and family, like you said, schoolwork, baseball. And if you, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you had, you know, other distractions or other priorities in, in the mix and, and that I say that, you know, this was a public school. It's not like he was saying, you know, forcing religion down on investors. That's not saying, but you know, he's, he's like, don't, you know, you, you, you gotta have kind of set uh structure of, you know, where, you know, the order of importance, if it's not faith, certainly family, and then school works, you got to be eligible and then baseball. And then, you know, you're, if you work part time or have a girlfriend, you know, things like that. So be it. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, should we start the show? Let's do it in three, two, one. Heart. You got to have heart miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and joining me on this Friday evening, we really got to get him a girlfriend or something, Hoss Reuter. Hoss, uh, <laughs> what, how, how is it that, that you spend your Friday nights talking to you know, a mid-30s guy over the internet? What? Where did you go wrong in life? 
Well, you know, the biggest thing would be I love football, and I pass up no opportunity to discuss football. The second thing would be the search for the future ex-Mrs. Hossroyder continues. No, you got to think positive. One and done, man. One and done. Um, <laughs> yeah, one and done. I just couldn't resist the opportunity to uh, paraphrase a great Jeff Goldblum quote from Jurassic Park. And and the the reason I say that is because uh, we're not going to get into the specifics of it here, but my bachelor party was supposed to be pretty tame and, and low-key. Uh, <laughs> now, you know, hear me out. Me. It, yeah, I've told you, but I haven't, you know, let it go, you know, on, on, on the show. But it was supposed to be pretty, pretty easygoing. We went to the bowling alley. We didn't do anything crazy. We didn't go bar hopping. We didn't hop in a, on a party bus or, you know, hit strip clubs or anything like that. Bowling alley on a Thursday night. We got there at about 6.30, maybe 7. And the intent, my intent, I guess is why grooms or grooms-to-be don't usually plan these things, was a few games, you know, rolling the ball, a few pitchers of beer with my my friends, get out of there. I drove. I drove to my bachelor party because I was confident that nothing crazy is going to happen. We'll be okay. My buddies, of course, had other things in mind. Uh, and my father-in-law, or you know, would-be father-in-law, was there, and we got talking about it the next uh, evening at the rehearsal and rehearsal dinner. He's like, "Yep, that kind of party. That's that's how you know you're only going to get married once." So, <laughs> hey, I'll, uh, I'm going to follow that one away. Uh, so yeah, so there you go. And and again, that's. I mean, let, let, I don't need any. Uh, I don't need any urging to get a little crazy and tie one on from time to time. I've been known to do that, but. Uh, Definitely file that away, put in the game plan for future reference. It's definitely why that night is definitely why I don't drink booze. I don't drink liquor. I stick to my beer. Uh, yeah, beer is just, uh, it's nice and calming. It, it is. It, it's my comfort drink, which sounds weird to say. Um, but I'm drinking tonight. You're drinking tonight. I, I don't have to guess what you're drinking unless you're going to throw a curveball at me. You know, I'm actually drinking a nice uh, glass of Moscato. Ooh. Banquet. Uh-huh. I have one glass of my, I have one glass of wine each year. It's usually a five dollar from a five dollar bottle of Moscato that my mom or one of my aunts buys for Thanksgiving dinner. And then one glass of Thanksgiving dinner, I finish that and then I get pretty deep into the Coors banquet the rest of the evening and I wake up to watch the Nebraska Iowa game the next morning. Really questioning the decision of drinking so heavily the night before. And I am drinking a, a new one for me from uh, the Sierra Nevada, I guess, brewing company. Yep, that's what it is out of Chico, oh, California. You, you bougie. Yeah, I'm, bougie. I'm, I'm drinking a pale ale. Okay. I, I think I've actually drank that before. Not by choice, obviously, because I'm such a creature of habit. Oh, sure, sure. Um... And we we just a little peek behind the curtain here. It's almost eleven o'clock, and I don't know if you can hear it in the back. Can you hear the pitter patter of little feet and a, and a small high pitched voice? I can. I yeah. can. I can confirm. Yeah. Um, and again, it, the timestamp is ten forty nine. That little booger was supposed to be asleep a while back, and I guess he's had uh, other plans. So. Um, 
let's let's get to it, shall we? Uh, uh, by the way, you say you love uh, taking any opportunity to talk football, uh, so it's important to uh, tell everybody that we're going to talk some Nebraska women's bowling tonight and uh, wish them well in the national tournament. They're going up against a familiar foe with Nebraska ties in uh, McKendry University from nearby to me, Lebanon, Illinois. So uh, you ready to talk some bowling, Haas? Last time I went bowling, I finished last. Last time I went bowling was my bachelor. No, not quite. <laughs> it wasn't quite that far back. Um, I, I once bowled a 24. That's bad, dude. Like, Yeah, I mean... I, I yeah I'm I'm not exactly uh I'm not exactly a good bowler like let me tell you I'd probably be I'd probably be entering into a world of pain for as many times as I step over the line. <laughs> um, I was in a bowling league Monday night league men's league in Shadron when I lived up there. Uh, got uh, drafted onto the KCSR. Uh, shout out to Stereo AM six ten KCSR uh, bowling team and. Uh, I was the one who got to not just uh, pick out the shirts, but also assign the nicknames. So I was a shooter, and we had a lefty and a coach, and we had another one whose uh, name I forget. So Fantastic. Uh, but anyway, um, we're not really going to talk bowling. We do want to wish the Husker women luck. Uh, Brian would sit here with me and talk bowling because um, that was his – but I, I, you know, in his honor, I, I, I mention it um, because it was he loved bowling. So um, let's talk football. Actually, before we get into the nuts and bolts, and we're going to talk uh, about some offensive skill uh, players and skill positions uh, this week. Want to mention and shout out to anybody who is not aware uh, that you were on this week's episode of. Uh, the Big Red Cobcast, our friends uh, Pat and Tweedy, and I, and I put Pat first just because. I mean, I, alphabetical. I was gonna say I like Pat more, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm deadlifts and weightlifting with <laughs> Tweedy, of course, but Pat, you know, I'm Pat, kidding. Pat's some good people. To quote I, my grandfather, I, I'm kidding. I, I I appreciate them both equally, um, and I've said it before. Pat's the brains, and and Ryan is the entertainment. Uh, so, I think I think that complements them both without without putting either of them yeah. down too far. So, um, you no, know, they're pretty self aware people. I think that uh, both of them <laughs> would appreciate those uh that high praise. And and uh, we're gonna, we're going to get into some things that you actually talked about. Uh, with the guys, and, and I know it from it's fresh on the memory because I was listening to it today while I was driving all over central Illinois, uh, putting water in Walmart because that's what I do uh, today anyway. Um, but we're going to cover some of those things. Like I said, we're going to talk about the skills players. But one thing that, uh, and by the way, uh, Husker Max is where you can get that. But if you subscribed to their show via iTunes uh, when they were with Coronation, you should probably still get those or you know subscribe to them still. Always entertaining stuff from uh, Pat and Tweety. Uh, one of the things you did not talk about, because it hadn't happened yet, and that is the departure and the release from scholarship, I guess is the technical term, of one Patrick O'Brien. And that came down Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Excuse me, I can't remember exactly which uh, day. Uh, so we were... Talking, you know, in, in recent episodes, 
really uh, not not too far back. But when I said, all right, you know, uh, I, I don't like to use the phrase gun to your head, but you got to choose a starting quarterback for 2018. Who's going out there? And you said P.O.B. I, I, think, yeah, right, I, yeah. I think we're going to have to change the answer now. Yeah, I think we will. And I really thought just from the fact that he's going into his third year in the program that he'd be the guy because um, there's not a lot of experience across the board and he has the most of it in limited game action. But as of now, I'd probably have to lean towards Tristan Gebbia. There's a Gebbia. I can never remember. And I have a hard to pronounce last name, so I should remember how other people's are pronounced, but um, I digress. But yeah, I would have to go with uh, Gebbia. And, and if, if a gun to my head situation. And he, go back to last spring, and Tristan had kind of the best showing among uh, uh, of the three quarterbacks, uh, and he's the only one left now, uh, you know, a year later. From when you look at where we were a year ago, Tanner Lee, Patrick O'Brien, who, you know, even at that point, I think there were still some competition between the two of them. And then you had uh, early enrollee uh, Tristan Gebbia. I'm, I'm going to stick with Gebbia. Nobody's told me differently yet. Um, and, and he kind of outperformed them both uh, in comparable playing time uh, in that spring game. But he was, I mean, the kid's a twig, you know. Uh, there's just not mm-hmm. a whole lot of mass to him. Uh, very adept football player. Um, but just need more of him, I guess. Uh, you know, it sounds sounds weird to say, just just uh, you know. But he was. I'm sure he spent you know time in the weight room, in the nutrition, uh, you know, cafeteria, whatever. But it, it, he was really a, a, a game studier and a film study. He, you know, all reports indicate that you know he was oftentimes you know the last guy you know when coaches were done doing film reviews. Tristan Gebby was still in there, you know, making notes, rewatching film, things like that. Really a, a true student of the game. And I don't know how much of a part that played, you know, in POB's departure. I, I, I don't know the facts. You know, it's it's not our place to, uh, you know, judge or anything like that. And as I said on Twitter, when I saw the uh, announcement, wish him the best of luck wherever he lands. And, and uh, you know... It, Unfortunate for him that, you know, I, I think we all had kind of higher hopes for P.O.B. Uh, it just didn't work out for him due to, I think, the arrival of Tanner Lee. And uh, and, and now we've got a, a really unique quarterback situation before this week because we had P.O.B., we had Tristan Gebbia, we had um, Adrian Martinez, who is highly touted. Now there's no P.O.B., so it looks like Gebbia might be the guy. But then... Later in the same day that we heard of POB's, you know, de- departure, for lack of a better term, there is a name that popped up that got you really excited. Mm-hmm. So please take the floor. Well, everyone knows Noah Vedrill from Wahoo Newman, uh, transferred back from UCF, and he's petitioning to get eligible, as he mentioned to Tom Chattel. And while, uh, so a lot of people kind of saw federal transferring back to Nebraska as just a, uh, you know, he's from Nebraska. His dad and uncles, the Vedrills played at Nebraska. His uncle's also Matt Terman um, on his mom's side. 
a lot of people thought, well, it's just the Nebraska kind of legacy type thing. When in all actuality, he's, you know, head of the playbook, obviously, because he has a year learning under Verduzco and Frost at UCF. And he also is a very good athlete, um, you know, by all accounts. So if he can get eligible, which I, I shade more towards one of those things where, like, if he gets eligible, it's going to be a pleasant surprise. If he doesn't get eligible, it's going to be kind of just business as usual when sure. it comes to transfers in college football. But if he gets eligible, our offense will be able to operate at full sail at the quarterback position. I mean, he'll be um, he'll be able to execute every read in the playbook, whether it's in the running game on zone reads and other read option plays, or whether it's in the passing game and RPOs and um, just uh, recognizing what the offense, what we're going to want to do offensively to exploit how the defense lines up or how they play, you know, a concept post snap and that knowledge that he has from working, you know, going into his second year now with frost and produce goes invaluable at that quarterback position because the quarterback and frost offense, as I've mentioned on previous episodes of this, they're the distributor. They're the point guard. They're just, they're dishing the ball out, whether it's on a zone read or flipping it out on a screen or on an RPO or, Occasionally, they're going to pull the ball and run when the defense wants to defend the running back instead of the quarterback. And having a guy who understands what the coaches want based off of you know film study and weaknesses of the defense is going to be able to make this offense tick a little bit better than uh, with a guy who's going into his first year in the system. So if he gets eligible... We're gonna be in some. We're gonna be in good shape. I'm not. And to to put a disclaimer on this, I'm not saying we're going 12 and 0. I'm just saying that we'll uh, we'll operate with a little bit better efficiency. And if you are Tristan Gebbia, and and you've waited, you know, for a while for your opportunity, throw throw me in 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 the the you know kind of the mindset. If you were in Gebbia's shoes, obviously there's been a lot of turnover now in the quarterback room. Uh, Tanner Lee going pro, P.O.B. now. I, Noah Vedral has come in, so it's not like you know P.O.B.'s out, Vedral's in. But but you, you got to be looking at this thing and be like, all right, I'm, you know, crap. The guys who are ahead of me are gone. It could be me, but now I've got. You know this transfer, another transfer coming in, who might put push me back down uh, the the depth chart. So, if, hypothetically speaking, if if you were Tristan Gebby, and obviously you're not, you're Haas Reuter, the coach. Um, what what would you what would your mindset be if if you were had been in this uh, you know quarterback room for the last year and three months? My mindset would be, well, one, I'm going to assume that Tristan Gebbia is a football guy, that he lives and breathes the game. And if you're going to play quarterback at a high level, whether it's at a Power 5 Division One institution or in the NFL, you have to be a football guy. You can't be just as good at football but doesn't really care about the game and be successful 
quarterback. You have to live and breathe it for it. Like your last breath depends on it. So safe to say that Tristan Gebbia likely understands that football is a meritocracy. It's based on merit. It's what have you done to be the best chance, the best opportunity for us to win. It's like what said 16 when, you know, he got healthy and, Dak Prescott was performing really well as a starter for the Cowboys. And Romo, for lack of a better term, conceded that, yeah, Dak Prescott has earned that right to be the starter. If I'm Tristan Gebbia, I'm thinking if Noah Vedrill gets eligible, yeah, he's earned that right. He knows the playbook. He has the physical tools to get the job done. But if I'm also Tristan Gebbia, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, he, he knows the playbook. He has the tools. Well, guess what? I'm going to work my ass off to not only catch up with him, but surpass him. And if he continues to play really well, and I can't surpass him because he's playing well, then we just got better as a team. And I'm going to accept my role. And I'm going to do my job on this team to be the backup and be ready to step in. But I'm going to prepare every week like my life depends on it. Like I'm going to be starting against Ohio State in Columbus on November the 3rd. Let me So go that's ahead. The, that's that's what I think. Do you think that something I don't I don't want to say something got lost. Um but with players abilities to transfer and especially transfer to, you know, a JUCO or a division down and you know, remain eligible play a year and then bounce right back up to uh, you know, Division One, as, as we know it, or, or uh, FBS. Do you think with with that ability that that kind of in-program competition, it's like, well, I'm not going to start here, you know, or, or at least the writing's on the wall that I'm not going to start here, so I'm going to go somewhere else where I can play. Do you, do you think that that has, I don't want to say killed the, the in-program competition, but I don't really know. You, you always heard, you know, going back to, you know, Husker teams of the 90s that – uh, you know the the best defense that that the offense was going to face was the fit team that they played in practice. Uh, the number two guys were trying to be better because they wanted to get on the field, and in doing so, they pushed the number ones to to improve. Do you think that the mindset now, and, and I don't mean just at Nebraska, but but in you know college football, maybe even college sports, you know, in general, is eh, you know what, I'm not going to play here. I'm going to go, you know, somewhere where I can play. And and do you think that that has hurt the sport? You know, that's, that's a pretty multi-layered question. I don't mean that in a bad way. It just You're welcome. means that <laughs> there, there's a lot of things to kind of sift through on that. And first off, in terms of hurting the competition, I think that any time that you have a lot of guys with ego and it's only natural when you're that good of an athlete and you're brought to college on a full scholarship that you're going to have an ego. It, it just comes with the territory. It's a, it's an occupational hazard, I guess, that you're going to, you know, you're going to want to be the guy. And when things don't go your way, that you're still going to want to be the guy. But in terms of being able to transfer, I think that a lot of people are quick to say, well, if this guy gets beat out, he's just going to transfer without really thinking about the human element of it. And it's a hell of a thing to uproot 
your own routine and your own, you know, way of life at a university to go somewhere to have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now, if a scheme change occurs or a head coaching change occurs and a subsequent scheme change, that's one thing. But if it's just a case of a guy is better than you, then that should just bring out the drive to you, you focus on improving. So I think it's a more of a case of, um, the competition being killed by in program competition being killed by the ability to transfer. I think that kind of comes down to more of an individual basis. And I really, I'm really struggling to answer this question. And, and, and I want to stress, you know, in all honesty, just because of the fact that each guy is different. Some people might have such a competitive drive, such an ego that they, they're willing to transfer and they're willing to uproot their way of life and their routine to have that opportunity while other guys are more willing with their competitive drive to just pour more effort into competing for the job at where they're at because they like where they're at. And I, I want to stress that again, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not upset. I, I'm not throwing any blame at, at Patrick O'Brien or any, no, any no, players who, not. Uh, choose. They have to do what they think is best for them. I get it. You know, if he exactly. if he's got dreams of playing on Sunday, uh, then he's got to go to a place that's going to allow him to showcase his talents. So I, I get it. I'm not. You know, Nebraska. Has, no, no. I we I never interpreted no, it sure, any other way. Sure. Uh, there might be some somebody out there who who might have thought, well, you know, you're you're talking about POB, but now you're talking about blame and transfer. Blah blah blah. No, I I I, I want to just set the record straight. Um, because Nebraska's benefited from some transfers in the past as well, um, but all, all that being said, you know it's it just seems like there was where where the hell was I going with this? I don't remember. All right, um, I heard more footsteps. I, I was like, oh, they're coming <laughs> to get me. <laughs> um, all right, so let's uh, let's let's get onto the topic that that I we we teased it last week. Uh, excited to talk about some of these skilled positions, and I, that's a horrible segue, by the way. Uh, and and I, I'm, I usually do much better. Um, here we go. Let's try this. Regardless of who is going to be, uh, you know, in the backfield under center at the quarterback uh, starting quarterback spot, they're going to have a lot of talent uh, to distribute the ball to uh, in these skill players, uh, the wideouts, uh, running backs, etc. We've talked uh, a little bit about uh, you know the running back position and. and Kind of what we might be able to expect there, but we haven't we haven't focused a ton of time uh, or energy on the the wideouts, uh, the receivers, tight ends, etc. Uh, you know, slot receivers. That's where I'd like to spend a little bit of time this week, if that's all right with you, Hoss. Hey, it's football. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think you'd mind. Um, Stanley Morgan has come back, and, and you know. I'd say come back, come back for his you know senior year rather than declare for the draft or anything like that, um, which we're all thrilled uh, with because he was so short of being Nebraska's first thousand yard uh, receiver. And I say I say we're all thrilled because he is you know really fun to watch. Uh, I think he he's a guy who plays with a lot of fire, uh, a lot of juice, if you will, and uh, a lot of heart. Five heart. See what I'm, folks. You understand where I'm going with that. Um, my, con, I don't. I don't want to call this a concern because it's a, it's a, a problem of riches. 
is there's so much talent uh, in in this. For some reason, Nebraska has been been uh, I, I even when it doesn't seem like we're stocked uh, at the receiver position, we always get some guys who step up. And this year, I feel like it's going to be uh, Stanley Morgan, J.D. Spielman, Tyjon Lindsay is going to get more you know attention. Um, and then you're going to have you're you're going to have some playmakers who are going to step up that that maybe we haven't seen a whole lot of. So let's talk a little bit uh, first about you know our, our returning leader uh, at the receiving position, Stanley Morgan. As you mentioned, and and I hope this isn't too much you know of of rehashing for you since you did just talk about this on on the Cobcast uh with with those traders I mean guys um just I say, I say, <laughs> Benedict Arnold. say it with love guys I say it with love uh but you did just talk about this so I I hope it's not uh rehashing it for you but but one of the things that you mentioned uh that that's going to make Stanley Morgan continue to stand out is his size uh obviously he's a, about the the closest thing that Nebraska has to a prototypical uh, you know, NFL-sized wide receiver. Yeah, and he's going to be playing that X receiver position, usually lined up into the boundary. Um, occasionally, he'll be lined up to the field when we go, like, formation into boundary, like when we line up more on the right or left hash, we put the trips to the short side, just get the defense to extend over to the trips and leave a one-on-one matchup with Stan in the corner and a lot of space for him to work. Every route, you know, is on the menu there. And that's really going to be the focal point for us in terms of our passing game is we're going to run the ball to, you know, impose our will on the defense and do what we want to do because everything starts from there and for us offense. But in terms of throwing the football, um, Stan's the best the best target and so you want to isolate as many one-on-one matchups as you can find and even then even when i say you know we're going to line them up either to the boundary as the solo receiver or the field as the solo receiver with formation into boundary he's also probably going to be moved around a little bit on a game plan basis depending on how different opponents are going to defend us based on film study and we're going to find the best matchup for him um, you saw it some moments late last year that we would occasionally line up Stan in a slot receiver position to really uh, put him against a smaller corner, smaller defender like a nickelback or a guy who maybe or, or like you know with as many nickel teams as we see in the Big Ten. Occasionally, teams will line up with their big nickel in there, a guy who's a little bit more well suited to defend the run in open space, and we're going to try to exploit that mismatch and get him open downfield so you're going to see a lot of um, trying to draw coverage away from Stan in this offense and you saw it with UCF the receiver's name is escaping my mind right now but he you know you're going to want to run play action one way then you're going to try to work Stan open the other direction and get those defenders lost in space or looking at the play fake in the backfield or if they're in zone coverage, they're going to be facing the quarterback, and if he's rolling out, there's going to be a threat for that quarterback to run. And then if they're in man coverage and they turn their back to run with stand downfield, well, guess what? That defender turns his back to the quarterback. Quarterback's going to tuck it and take off, uh, similar to how Michael Vick burned defenses early in his career. Like 
Dan Reeves told Michael Vick against the Vikings, hey, you see man coverage, those defenders turn their back, tuck the ball and run. You know, he runs for 150 yards against the Vikings in that game. So, Stan is, you know, even though he's a receiver and a lot of people kind of equate the wide receiver position with kind of a solitary, you know, existence, that the success of the offense isn't solely dependent upon them. He's gonna he's gonna draw a lot of attention away from people, and that's gonna open up the rest of the offense. We're gonna be able to run the ball, or we're gonna be able to hit other receivers away from Stan, or we're gonna be able to run the quarterback. And then when teams start to have to really adjust to defend those things we're doing, well, you're gonna get Stan open over the top, and you're gonna you're gonna send one right down the pike on the defense. Is it? Stanley is is incredibly strong. Um, not always the best hands. I, I think it's safe to say and fair to say, mm-hmm. uh, without you know ca- you know casting judgment on, on the guy. Um, but he had some issues last year. Yeah, and and I think if he you know caught a few more of those that that were drops um, that were thrown to him. I mean, let's face it, Tanner. He would have hit a G. I, I would have hit a G I if agree. he would have reeled some of those in. Would you? Would you say that he's probably, as far as just overall strength, probably the strongest receiver that Nebraska's seen maybe since a Quincy Inunua? Yeah, and I would probably say in terms of strength-to-weight ratio, he may be even stronger than Quincy because Quincy is a pretty he's a pretty big lad. Sure. You know, he's about 220. Stan runs about 210, 215, even though that might not seem like much to some people. That's a pretty big difference in terms of just, you know, the frame that you got and the muscle that you can pack onto the frame. Because let's face it, guys at the receiver position, with the exception of David Boston, they're not fat. You know, they're 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 pretty cut. So I would probably say Stan's probably pound for pound the strongest wide receiver we've ever had. And, you know, some of the people, like especially my dad's generation, We'll probably balk at this when with memories of Irving Fryer and Johnny Rogers, but I would probably have to venture a guess that Stan may be the best wide receiver that we've ever had. Just like you said, the prototypical NFL frame. Um, he the he's just he's damn good. Now then, even though he doesn't have you know the elite top end speed that some people drool over in terms of wide receivers. He's such a technician at his craft. He runs good routes. He's a great run blocker. Um, and that's... The only block that I can really think of in his career that he's missed would be the one on the bubble screen against NIU this year where he whiffed on the block on Deshaun Lurie and Lurie, you know, knifes inside win. and picks off Tanner Lee and, he, you know, pick six, you know on the first drive of the game. But other than that, Stan's blocking has sprung a lot of big runs in the moments under Riley where we've been able to actually have some big runs because the running game was so dead gum anemic. But um yeah, I mean he he's the total package. He just he, he lacks the top end speed, but he's a technician as at his craft. I almost said carafe like the coffee. Um, <laughs> uh he's he's I I, I if I was an NFL GM, I'd want him on my team. I'm going to throw a name out there, uh, and, and I don't want you to necessarily compare him to Stanley Morgan or or any 
any individual a Husker receiver, but I, I, I just I want your thoughts on and, and okay. maybe you know who I'm thinking of. Uh, maybe you don't. Uh, but where would you have put purify? No, um, Nate Swift. Ooh, I'm gonna start throwing out cliches here. Okay, here we go. Co- is this coach Co- speech here? Coach's son, grinder, <laughs> deceptively athletic. No, Swift was a great wide receiver, great route runner. He was a damn good punt returner too, and he had better speed than anyone gave him credit for. I gotta get that cliche in. But um, Stan, Stan has more physical tools than Nate Swift, and so, I was a huge Nate Swift guy, but. There's a reason why Stan will be playing on Sundays and why Nate Swift was not playing on Sundays, and that's just because of the physical tools that Stan possesses. Can I can I say uh, something else without being judged before we move on from Stan Morgan? Hell yeah. Nate Swift was my first man crush. He uh, That game <laughs> that he had against Iowa State in 05, and then uh, – then to top that with his performance in 08, even though he kind of disappeared in 06, 07, minus the awesome catch off the halfback pass against Texas in 06, Nick Swift brought the juice every freaking game. So, getting a little teary-eyed thinking about him now. I don't think he remembers yep. me at all. But, uh, Nate, if you're listening... Hey, come on the come on the uh, five hard sometime. Let's let's talk about that uh, Texas Tech game in way when you and Todd Peterson torched Texas Tech's ass. You know what, if, if Nate Swift, if you're listening to this podcast, let us know. And anybody else out there, if you know Nate Swift and want to drop this episode uh, onto his Twitter timeline, please do. Um, I don't know if he. I, I, I say man crush, but let's let's face it. I'm 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 also not a crazy stalker, so I don't know if he actually has Twitter. Um, but if you know Nate Swift, and uh, you, you just want to you want to tell him that we, we're thinking about him and hope he's doing well, that that'd be awesome. Uh, another former Husker that I'm going to mention briefly on the other side of the football, just because I saw he he tweeted on on Twitter, which is where people tweet. Um, and, and that was a little bit before we started recording, and that's Levante David, who just asked what everybody was up to tonight. And I said, oh, I'm about to record this new episode of the Five Heart Podcast with Hoss Reuter, and uh, I'll send you a follow-up uh, tweet if we mention you. So, Levante, you can expect that follow-up tweet because we mentioned you. Is there a a defender coming in? I know we're not talking about defense yet, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but since we mentioned him, is there a defender coming in uh, this year who's going to be as impactful as Levante David was? You know, Levante Davids don't grow on trees. No, they because don't. Because he, he just he's a great football player. But if I had to say... In terms of the impact Levante had his first year to start in 2010, I don't think so. But guys who could turn into a Levante David type impact, I would have to say probably Caleb Tanner, the defensive go. end from Atlanta, who we stole out of the capital of the SEC, might I add. Isn't that beautiful? Say that again. Yep. We stole out of the capital of the SEC 
might I add, the, the same capital that a personal hero of mine, William Tecumseh Sherman, once watched through. <laughs> and and let, let's remember that Atlanta is where they play the SEC championship. Uh, at, it's where at, the SEC is headquartered out. And? Out of. And it's also where we get Coca-Cola and yes. I believe Chick-fil-A. So it does Where have, I also spent four hours in a Marriott and then woke back up and drove the rest of the way to Orlando a few years ago. So I've been to Atlanta for four hours. I actually uh, have family in that area, so I've I've visited there as a youngster, um, and that's about all I can tell you. That there there was a like a skyscraper top floor restaurant that that spun you know like one revolution every hour i remember being a kid uh-huh. like nine year seven year old i know i was i was in single digits that's all i know out of diapers not yet 10 um so like i don't know nine i don't know <laughs> but uh uh you know being up there and and seeing different parts of the city as as the restaurant moved around so anyway that's my atlanta story um so yeah so and another name i i thought you might um, make or throw out there was a Chris Honus. So, oh yes, 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 Honus. Uh, obviously, I would be remiss not to mention our starting middle linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> so from what I hear, when he plays football, he has the Mike Singletary eyes going on. And if you understand football, and you know who Mike Singletary is. You understand that that is a very good thing. Uh, definitely one. Uh, so would you like to amend your, your answer, or do you still think that it's going to be Caleb Tanner in, in a couple of years who's going to be as impactful as Levante David was? Well, you know, Greg, there's only one position in football that I have a bigger affinity for than the offensive line, and that is dominant pass rushers. I love watching an apex predator pass rusher Randy chase Orton? down a quarterback like a linebacker or like a lion chasing a zebra. Wait, it wait, is wait. the greatest thing in the world. You said apex predator. Is Randy Orton suddenly uh, on the defensive line for the Huskers? Well, you know, we had Randy Gregory at one point. <laughs> That's where I came up with the phrase. Watching him chase around like Connor Cook in 2013 or a week before chasing around Devin Gardner that went up in Ann Arbor. It was like a lion chasing down a zebra. And I actually, you know, what I would say about Randy Gregory that year was he has a certain, he has a wallet with a certain phrase stitched on it from a Quentin Tarantino movie. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. And so I, I love dominant pass rushers. Like I will get on YouTube and just watch Lawrence Taylor highlights just watching him, you know, turn the corner on an offensive tackle, bull rush an offensive tackle, line up everywhere across the field. And I think Caleb Tanner can be that guy. Those kind of pass rushers don't grow on trees. They're a very rare commodity. And again, to gloat, I'm sorry to any Husker fans who live south of the Mason-Dixon who not only are Husker fans but are very proud of their southern heritage, but we stole that one out of the capital of the SEC. Deep in the heart of Dixie, we got them out of there. And you know what? If they're if they're tried and true Husker fans, they're probably just tickled pink that uh, he he's out of SEC country and in uh, into the good life of of Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, exactly. 
we have gone well off topic now, and I apologize, but we're back. Well, to- anytime, any, anytime I get to mix in college football and take a few jabs at the Southeast, you know, oh, no, because I'm a, I, I'm a history education major. I, I, I love history. I love football a little bit more. I'm going to school to be a history teacher and a football coach. So anytime I get to combine those two things together, I'm going to take that opportunity. If they, if there was a degree for uh, the history, like football history, uh, you'd probably have your doctorate by now. I'd, yeah, I'd have a doctorate. I'd probably be, you know, teaching it at a university somewhere. And a university level, you'd probably be teaching it in the Ivy Leagues where they don't understand football. Um, oh, I'd be wearing cardigans. <laughs> ooh, those uh, those uh, blazers with the patches on the elbow. Yes, yes, they got to have the elbow patch. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk more about our skills players before this thing gets carried away. It's already eleven thirty by God, and there's post production to do if this thing's going to see the air in the morning. Um, J.D. Spielman. Probably our our next biggest threat. My, I, I guess one of my questions to you, because of, you know, there, there's the known commodities we have. There's the Stanley Morgans, J.D. Spielman, who, uh, you know, based on what you and and the Cobcast fellows were talking about, uh, and and deservedly so. I mean, uh, Spielman gets a lot of love. He had a tremendous year. There's almost, you know, in this offense with. A, a quarterback who understands the system and everything. I mean, it almost sounded like you guys were saying in a couple of years, Spielman could be a Heisman finalist. That's, that's the feeling I got from that conversation. You know, I've never considered that um, even with him being a freshman, all American, but I would agree with that because he's going to be used in every way, shape and form. He's going to be a slot receiver. We're going to put him in the backfield. The other night I was watching the nightly news Again, you know, I'm 27 years old. I watch the 10 o'clock news every night. I'm a creature of habit. Most of the time I sit there and make fun of some of the newscasters, but I I like to watch the news. But That's why we didn't even, start, folks. That's why we didn't start recording until 1030, because Hoss had to watch his news. Exactly. I had to watch WOWT. You know, shout out to anyone who's listening, by the way. Um, Send him a mug. But yeah, oh, I love coffee. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely drink from that <laughs> mug with pride. But um, they showed a clip from practice of J.D. Steelman being lined up at the backfield as a tailback, and we we're in twenty personnel. So, we're we got three wide receivers out there, and we got two backs in the backfield with the quarterback. We're motioning J.D. Steelman out from the running back spot to the flat, you know, throw him a quick little screen pass, and so he's going to be used in, you know every way that we can find the way, find a way to put the ball in his hands. And it's like that. I don't listen to much rap, but it's like that little Troy song. Want to be a baller. JD Spielman is a baller. He is, he's going to light it up in this offense. And like I said to the Copcast guys, when I was on with them last Saturday, um, I just totally lost my train of thought. I, uh, um, while, while you recover that, can I, can I, since you mentioned a rap song, can I, can I sidebar off of that and tell you that, you know, rap is also not my cup of tea, but you know what the last rap song that I, uh, remember hearing? Regulate? Uh, no, I'm not that old. I mean, well, I'm old, but. Oh, you know, that um, is a great song though. I listen to it when I look late. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, I'm not familiar with it. Uh, ha- have you seen a particular Western by the name of wild, wild West with Will Smith and Kevin <laughs> Klein? 
That is a fantastic. Yeah, that, that, that's a fantastic uh, hip hop song. Wicked oh, Wild. I thought you were gonna say it was a fantastic movie. I was gonna be like, eh. the song eclipses the movie. Uh, the song is so good. Wicked Wild Wild West, Jim West, Desperado. That's all I'm gonna get into right now because we don't have the rights to that, and I'm not gonna pay ASCAP uh, to uh, perform that song. <laughs> so, um, so there you go, Wild Wild West, and and that's, I mean. And then you have Partners in Crime with T-U-R-T-L-E Power from uh, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I'm, I'm dating myself because that's like late 80s or right around 1990 when that one came out. Um, that one I could sing every every word to or, you know, rap. I don't know what the proper nomenclature is there. Anyway, um, J.D. Spielman, uh, a, a Swiss army knife of talent, if you will. Yeah, and um, I remember what I was going to say. The week leading up between the Iowa game last year, which we don't talk about ever. Never. Um, Never happened. And the UCF Memphis uh, American Athletic Conference championship game, I remember telling people as it was looking like it was going to be Frost, and I sound way more important than I really am when I say I was telling people. But talking about Frost being hired, I said J.D. Spielman should be a full-time tailback in Frost's offense, and a lot of people were saying, well, no, why do you want to do that? He's such a great receiver, you know, uh, play a little tailback, but keep that receiver, and lo and behold, Frost's offense likes to use that duck R slot receiver position that D'Anthony Thomas kind of made famous at Oregon when Frost was there, and that's what J.D. Spielman and Ty John Lindsay will be playing. So J.D. Spielman will get a lot of run as a tailback, and I cannot wait to see that happen in this offense. Like, J.D. Spielman, he's a baller. He's a dude. Let me ask you this. Since you mentioned uh, J.D. Spielman and and the topic of our next uh, little chapter here, Tyjon Lindsay, what is better for the offense and more confusing for the defense? Having some, you know, an athlete the caliber of you know those two individuals as a running back who can motion out and catch passes, or even catch passes out of the backfield on a like a wheel route or something like that, or you know a slot receiver who can motion into the backfield and you know cause some confusion that way. Like what I, if if you were the offensive coordinator, head coach? How would you would you line both of those up as running backs? And then, if you do, what do you do with the other running backs that you've got on the squad? Because that, that then it becomes an awfully full running backs room. Well, what I would do with putting a guy like J.D. Spielman, you know, in for some running back type duties is I would probably put him in the backfield first, line him up in the backfield before either motioning him out or you know, just having him run a route out of the backfield because I want to get the heaviest personnel for the defense out there. I want to force them. If I'm going to line up with two backs in the backfield, I want them to respond with putting three linebackers in to defend against a a mobile quarterback and two running backs. And linebackers are going to be slower than DBs. And so I want to put, I want to force them to go with a base personnel Motion J.D. Spielman out and get that linebacker chasing in man coverage, a guy that J.D. is going to outrun nine times out of ten. Or keep J.D. in and just 
with his speed, he'll be able to outrun the linebacker to where his route needs to go after the snap. And so that, that, that's the mindset that I would take. If you go with splitting them out wide and then motioning them back in, because you've split them out wide, and if you've done that previously on that drive, they're going to have nickel or diamond sure. with faster DBs covering them. They're going to adjust to the motion. They're going to be able to stay with them, especially if it's man. If it's zone, that's a whole other conversation. But I'm going to go with trying to get their slowest personnel on the field so I can just put speed in space and burn their asses. And and that's, you know, when when you talked about, you know, the defensive personnel, that, that's not even something that entered it. That, Damn it, Haas! I mean, aside from the fact that you're such a great conversationalist, that's why we that that that's why you're on the show, um, because you think of things. I like, am the please. Hey, 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 ladies, hear that? This fella <laughs> aims to please. That's all I'm saying. It's a. Hey, I'm on my second pale ale from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. So, um, yeah, the 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 inhibitions are getting lowered, and the mouth is getting a little bit more active. So. We're going to get you a date by the end of this show. Slide into those DS, ladies. <laughs> there you go. At, At Hoss Reuter. Reuter. That's right. And and if you need a, a filter, ladies, if you have a, a a question that you want to ask me about Hoss, at the Hooch thirty six, we will. Uh, I will. I will be the go between. I'll tell you his likes, his dislikes. By the way, yes, he does like walks on the beach, but he much prefer taking you to North Stadium and watching Nebraska win. Um, so there you are. There we go. And uh, uh, Oscars, is that the name? Mm-hmm. Oscars, yeah. Uh, you can usually find him at Oscars uh, for beer and wings. And uh, When I'm feeling a little bougie, I go down to the Drover, but that's usually after student loans have been dispersed early in the semester. and. We got a little expendable income before the realities of being a broke college student set in. And he has some nice new cowboy boots. Uh, and yes, so there you are. Yes, I do. Uh, late, uh, I mean, ladies, uh, I don't uh, take his. Take, I mean, uh, they. I mean, if things re- went really well, I mean, we'd have to find another way to do a guy who might be an offensive coordinator <laughs> at a very high level one day. I was gonna say, see you were you were going there. I I was thinking that you know as you said, if things go well, and and my thought was, I'm gonna we're gonna have to find another night to record. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking the long game. I'm there thinking that from that coordinator standpoint of what's gonna happen two series down the road. Ladies, he's not afraid of commitment. Just put that one in your back pocket. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's talk about Tyjon Lindsay. Uh, much of the, you know similar skill set to JD Spielman obviously didn't see as much uh, uh, time on the field and, and get as many opportunities uh, but he was a true freshman last year um, and and we know what he's capable of uh, highly touted uh, a steal uh, a signing day steal from Ohio State which just you know that reason alone really endeared him to Husker fans um, yeah it's just like stealing somebody out of the capital the SEC. <laughs> Which has happened recently, and, and you'll yeah. not, you'll not ever miss an opportunity to remind us. Oh, um, oh no! <laughs> uh, so you you see Tyjon being utilized in a similar way as JD Spielman? Yeah, I do. Um, because of his slider build, 
than JD. He probably will play some more wide receiver. And as I say that, I start to think to myself, well, hell, Adrian Killens is 158 pounds down at UCF, and they used him as a running back predominantly as, in addition to being a wide receiver. But he's he brings the same thing to the table. You put speed in space, whether that's on a bash sweep with, you know, reading the play side defensive end and giving the ball if the DN crashes and keeping the ball if the DN expands with the back. And you just, you find mismatches if he can get that corner, find that crease. And one of the things about Ty John, and I had a conversation with a classmate about a month ago about this, who's a big Husker fan as well. And they were talking about how they kind of thought it was a waste to play Ty John as a freshman, even though he only had 12 catches for 76 yards. And one of the things that's overlooked in that is it was vital to get Ty John that experience to the Division One level, um, a guy who's pretty slight of frame, to get him used to going against DBs in the Big Ten. And Big Ten's a man's league. Everyone's got dudes. No matter who you're playing, you can get beat any week. You know, that's the nature of this league. So to get him seasoned and get him experienced to that was vital. Um, offensive play calling and personnel uh, groupings and personnel decisions is a whole nother discussion that we really didn't do him any favors with having him as the Z receiver in our bunch sets and we motioned a bunch because he had to usually block somebody who was much bigger than he was not always a corner sometimes it was a Sam linebacker or safety and so in this offense with putting speed in space rather than trying to have Ty John gain separation against a bump-and-run corner when we're in a pro-style offense, it, it's going to be a huge difference. This is, a, this is a much more natural offense for him to be in than a pro-style offense where everything's so compressed. And I think uh, Mike said it best in the slack room after the Wisconsin game. The, our personnel last year, the way we lined up our personnel and the formations that we would do, usually, you know, one back, two tight ends, two receivers, all compressed really tight, you know, to the center of the field. Our offense was constipated. It needed an enema. And that enema is going, you know, spreading the field and forcing the defense to defend 53 and one-third yards and going vertical on them as well, so they have to defend the entire length and width of the field. And doing so is going to open up a lot of opportunities. I don't know. Thanks, Mike, for allowing me to equate offensive football with the need for an enema. I I hope I never have to do that ever again. I I would almost say, and and this is not to uh, pardon pardon the pun, this is not to shit on uh, (laughs) any, any of the former you know, staff or anything, but I would almost say that the enema happened when Riley and his, you know, staff were let go. I thought that was the enema. And now, you know, this off season has been the cleansing and, you know, come August and September, uh, you know, what? I, I think that, uh, uh, there, there's going to be a, a good regular constitutional dump. On defenses in the Big Ten, I was going to say bowel movements, but I like yours better. Uh, <laughs> um, 
we're we're running long, and I'm I'm I checked the uh, ABV on these uh, pale ales from Sierra Nevada, and and uh, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm well into my second one, and it's these are not the first two beers that I've had tonight, so. I want to make sure that I don't pass out on the couch typing this and wake up at four in the morning. That yeah, won't be fun. Um, the tight end position uh, is, you know, maybe the most interesting because we've seen, you know, someone like Seaton Carter showed us really what the the tight end could do for Nebraska, and and then there was a little bit of a drop off last year. I thought, uh, who do you see emerging at tight end? Who could, you know, really be a boost for the squad? Most likely a Jack Stoll. Oh, uh, I'm Stoll glad you mentioned emerged him. down the stretch last year. Especially, he had a nice catch against Northwestern on a sale concept off of play action. And he proved himself as a pretty good blocker. Um, I've scrubbed my memories of departed seniors like. Um, Tyler Hoppus and Connor Ketter. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go any further than that because I don't want to disrespect people as people just on the basis of them as football players. <laughs> but um, yeah, Jack Stoll. Sorry, Cole Conrad. I we're, think we're, we're not done with you yet. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, uh, if I ever meet Cole Conrad, I probably need to buy him a beer. <laughs> for uh, as many times as I've uh, I've gone off about that, so make it a Cole Sierra or, Nevada pale ale. Cole or any of Cole's family members, if you're listening, I don't hate the guy. I, I, I don't hate the guy. I'm just, it's just, uh, it's just business. But, um, I'm sorry yeah, that Jack I'm egging Stoll, it on. Um, I'm kind of drawing a blank on other tight ends. I mean, I know Justin McGriff, when he committed back in December, and then he's on campus right now going through spring ball, a lot of people thought he'd be a tight end at 6'6", 210. But Troy Walters has said he's working at receiver right now, and Troy Walters also mentioned that in all of his years of playing football, whether it's as a Bolitnikoff winner at Stanford or playing for the Indianapolis Colts and the Detroit Lions in the NFL, he's never seen a receiver with the length that McGriff has. So I wouldn't say he's a tight end right now because he's at receiver, but Jack Stoll, I mean, he's he's a pretty big-time get when we got him out of Denver. Texas wanted him real bad. So that's the guy who I probably think is going to emerge at the tight end position. Um, um, In terms of that kind of tight end H-back spot, the tight end in Frost offense usually plays H-back when they align him in the backfield. So that kind of removes the opportunity for, you know, we're going to talk about the favorite position for Husker fans from Fall City all the way off to Hemingford, the fullback position, Ben Miles. So that kind of eliminates a role for a guy like Ben Miles. I talked about it last week on the Cobcast, how Ben Miles could maybe transition into being an edge setter. But then after watching a little more film this week, you kind of know that that's not really the body type. 5'10", 5'11", 230 pounds that Frost looks for in the Y slot position. So... You know, now that I mentioned this about the fullbacks, we might have to have a hotline for people to call in that they can really <laughs> bear their souls about how upset they are about no fullbacks anymore. I mean, we might have to start the Haas and Hooch cognitive therapy session on this podcast. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, 
this week and last week, we have done uh, the podcast uh, via, via Skype, but through your phone. So if you can look at your phone and give the number that it shows that I'm calling from, maybe people can call in and leave a voicemail and we can, we can help them. It actually says unknown. Oh, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, so people just, you know what, just tweet us. We'll, uh, there you go. We'll, we'll do some cognitive behavioral sessions about fullbacks. And part of that's probably going to include that you're going to have to watch a lot of Oregon film, a lot of UCF film. I may even throw in some Mike Leach, Texas Tech, Washington State film. We're going to get you through it. It's going to be okay. And when all else fails, by golly, there's a Gretna native playing in the NFL at the fullback position. And he's a former Husker. And uh, we can always get Mr. Janovich uh, to, I don't know, co-sign any of our fullback thoughts. Uh, uh, probably ghostwrite a co-sign because he's, he's busy doing NFL stuff. Um, he's a busy man. He's blocking linebackers and DNs. Yeah. He, you know, and, and well, what his first touch, his first carry was a touchdown, so that's that's pretty good too. Um, we got to talk about this one because I think a lot of people have forgotten about it. I almost did uh, because of a, a season-ending injury that he sustained last fall. Javion McQuitty, uh Ooh. comes in, and and I, I can't say that he's an unknown commodity. He's just an untested at the college level commodity because, as I said, the the injury that he, you know, two weeks into the, in the fall practices, and he uh, had a knee injury, I, I believe, is what it was. Uh, but he's one that we need to discuss. The, uh, you know, five eleven, hundred ninety pounder out of Columbia, Missouri, right there in SEC country. Stole one. Stole one. Right out of Mizzou's backyard. There, or there. As my, uh, or as my great grandfather would say. Missouri. Missouri. Uh, they're number one at the time uh, player in the state. Um, but anyway, he's definitely one that we were so, so excited about last fall before the injury. And and uh, hopefully, you know, he's back and healthy now. I think he is, but but I don't have – my thumb is not on that pulse. Um, so where do you see him fitting in? You know – I, I see him kind of fitting that similar exposition role as Stan, uh, being a bigger bodied receiver. He's, you know, 6'2, 6'3, if I recall correctly. I could be wrong. But um, I, I think that with his talent, because he was pressing for playing time last year before the knee injury, he was going to play as a freshman. Um, you got to get the guy on the field in whatever role that right. he can help you win because, I mean, we we needed him last year. We we had to go with two tight ends on the field so many times because our receiving core was so depleted. You know, we were left with Stan and J.D. and Ty John in, in the pro-style offense. DPE. And a lack of a run, oh, DPE, I forgot about him. Lack of a running game. We weren't able to get a lot of separation, so we could have used as many receivers as we you know, could get at that point to force defenses to play us a different way. But um, I think that he fits in really well. That was a, like you said, that was a huge get getting him out of Mizzou's backyard in Columbia. And I'm excited to see what he can put together on the field, and especially in the spring game next week. And then 
you know, we'll see on September 1st against Akron. I was going to ask another question. I forgot where I was going. Oh, um, of these talented, uh, you know, skills players, who do you think is going to step into that uh, kick and punt return role? I mean, do you think it's going to be Spielman and, and maybe a little bit of Tyjohn? I would say either Spielman, Ty John, or perhaps Maurice Washington when he gets on go. campus. All right, that was a, I mean, I, that was a simple question and a simple answer. I didn't wasn't expecting a whole lot there. Um, man, I ain't got anything else. Oh, I do want to mention this. Uh, as again, we record this on Friday nights, and it happened to be Friday the thirteenth. And uh, hey, there was a thunderstorm that rolled through. And uh, we we didn't lose power, uh, we not, not a blip. Um, my son might even still be awake. It's approaching midnight, so tomorrow is going to be interesting. Um, anyway, I say all that to say this. Uh, earlier today, while I was doing that water to Walmart delivery thing that I do uh, was doing today, as I'm walking out and I've got my cart full of empty bottles, and uh, I see a gentleman walking in. And from a distance, I just see a little red, you know, three-quarter pull up, and I get closer, and there's a big red N on it, embroidered on. I said, hey, go big red. And he kind of stops, and uh, he's like, yeah. You know, he's probably not expected to hear a go big red in Godfrey, Illinois, or Jerseyville, or wherever the hell I was, small town. And uh, uh, he not only was he wearing the Husker pull over but he had a lincoln salt dogs hat on as well so oh. um, I, I said are you proud native son well that's what i asked i said are you are you from lincoln he said no but i spent he said i i uh, lived out there for a few years and just a wonderful uh wonderful place to be you know great community and everything else i said that's right and then we went on our way i what i didn't say was hey i got this husker podcast you should i don't you know i try not to bombard people with that right out the gates but uh Dude, uh, in the Husker hat and Lincoln Salt or a Husker pullover and Lincoln Salt Dogs hat, if you are listening to the show, I was the Waterman, and uh, that that's my that's my Husker fan interaction story for today. Uh, two questions that I have to ask you, uh, except I can only remember one, so <laughs> we're gonna go with that. I want to, okay. I want Hoss, since you are uh, an aspiring coach, and, and as you uh said in your uh, Craigslist ad for love uh a, an aspiring high level <laughs> offensive line coach um i i want you to put your nebraska fandom aside okay if you can you know put put you know take the blinders off no no homerism if there's one college coach that you as a new uh, a, a grad assistant could you know, work under, you know, and, and, and be on that staff, who would, who would you want that? What, what staff or, or what coach would you want to, want to coach under? Right. Gosh, I, 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 have, I have an answer to this question and I've actually mentioned to the, mentioned this to, uh, some friends and, um, it would be urban Meyer. I respect the hell out of him as a coach. I admire him from just a pure clinical coaching standpoint. As a Husker fan, I can't stand him. <laughs> but from a pure football standpoint, it's just 
that guy is the George S. Patton of college football. He he has such a command over his program. I mean, you saw it when when they were mollywhopping us in Lincoln back in October. They were up thirty five on us late in the game. He was coaching his ass off. He was he was jumping on players, you know, jumping down their throats for committing a false start penalty on a punt when they were punting to us. And I mean, he he never lets up. The the guy is he's the epitome of a football coach, and that's what gets me excited about Frost because Frost is a lot like Urban Meyer in that regard. But yeah, I mean, I I can't stand Urban Meyer from a Husker fan standpoint. From a pure football standpoint, though, he he is the best. I I put him even ahead of Saban. So. While you are grad assisting on Urban Meyer's Ohio State staff and preparing for the Big Ten Championship against Nebraska and Indianapolis, you would absolutely sabotage from the inside, right, Uh, to make sure that Nebraska won? No. (laughs) The the competitor in me would want to be showing everyone back home that I had a hand in, you know, winning. Ouch! Yeah, and oh. yeah, it, it would it would be bittersweet. I'm not gonna lie. You know, as soon as you this know, gets be, around, you might get kicked out of the Slack chat room for this. I know, I know. <laughs> that, that's the uh, you know that's the thing that's always been on my mind. Is like with going into coaching, if everything worked out the way I wanted it to, with you know through my own hard work and a little, a little help from the big guy upstairs there on this, um, you know, there it's crossed my mind that hey, there'll come a time where I got to put the fandom down, you know, and, you know, I got to coach ball. I got to do what I've always wanted to do, what I'm passionate about. I got to teach and coach blocking, you know, especially if I'm an offensive line coach, but that's really what I want to be. I'd love to be an offensive line coach and eventually an offensive coordinator. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, being from Nebraska, growing up a diehard, very maladjusted Husker fan, as we all know with how, irritable I get in the Slack chat room or on Twitter or with the people that I watch games with. Um, that would be the driving force that would make me want to work as hard, you know, in that profession to get back to have the opportunity to get back to Lincoln to coach at Nebraska where, you know, everything would be, you know, in unison, both uh, my professional choice as a career and my own fandom. And if you think about it, though, and, and I'm, I'm just, you know, busting balls. I, 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 but you know, <laughs> if you think about it, how many – let's just go you know, outside of college. Let's just go to the NFL. Most of the – you know, most kids grow up, you know, and they've got a favorite team of theirs. And if they're you – know, if they work hard enough, if they're talented enough, you know, they're going to get drafted. They're going to play. But you only got a 1 in 32 chance of playing for your favorite team. And, you know, I think about it now, you know, this is 2018. Um, how many, you know, players in the NFL right now are from Texas who maybe grew up in the heyday of those 90s Cowboys teams, grew up yeah. Cowboys fans, and, you know. Earl Thomas from the Seattle Seahawks, perfect example. It, or, you know, it, you know, are drafted and play for a rival, you know. Uh, you know, yeah. play for the Redskins or the Eagles or something like that, uh, uh, you know, it, it happens. Um, you know, there are probably some some Denver area kids, you know, who might have 
you know, gone up. Hell, Andy Janovich might have grown up a Chiefs fan, and now he plays for the Broncos. You know, I, I don't know. I've never, well, you know, but it, I, but it I, happens. I you got to you got to put you know some of those childhood, uh, you know, you know, favorite favoritism type stuff aside. So, well, it's like I've always said. I, I don't have any tattoos. Never had a reason to get one. I've always said though that if I get done with my schooling, land a GA spot somewhere, land a coaching job somewhere, another school, you know, can't wear the Nebraska gear anymore. I would just, I, I would never get a college team logo as a tattoo, but I would get the state of Nebraska as a tattoo to have something, you know, wearing it on my person, you know, on your butt cheeks the where form. they can't see it. Yeah, you know, like the tattoo of Roy Orbison in uh, the Water Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Here's but, what you do. Here's what you do, and, I, and I'm I'm serious when I say this. When you get picked up as a GA after you have graduated and you are somewhere, and that's not Nebraska, which will break my heart, and you know, quite possibly be the end of the podcast because you know you will you'll be busy and won't want to talk about the Huskers anymore. Um, I'm sure as hell we'll not going to appearances. Yeah, I'm sure as hell not going to talk about Minnesota. So don't don't get your hopes up. Um, this oh, is what you, you do. Put that on me. This is what you do. <laughs> oh, you could be the next grad assistant under PJ Fleck. I'll have to delete a lot of tweets. <laughs> By the way, uh, my my last uh, guest on 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 uh, my other podcast, Nerd United, is from Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, and and while he he is a sports fan, he's more of a Vikings fan than a Gophers fan. Um, and he said that even Minnesota fans think the PJ Fleck is crazy. So uh, we're not alone. Uh, but anyway, back to what okay. I was saying. This is what you do. You get a uh, on your left butt cheek. Hear me out. And this might be the beer talking. You get an outline of the state of Nebraska. And over Nebraska City, you get a, a tattoo of a, a very lovely tree of your choosing. Because as we all know... Nebraska City is the home of Arbor Day. And, I like pines. Well, that's fine. I don't, I don't give a crap. Um, <coughs> it's your butt cheek. You put whatever you want on it. But I'm saying this is what you do, <laughs> which is a contradiction in itself. It's your butt cheek. You do what you want. But here, this is my suggestion. You do you. <laughs> um, Arbor Day, right there. It's like putting a pin on Nebraska City. Shout out to Nebraska City and you Arbor folks. Um so there you go. That that's left butt cheek. Can't wait to see it. I'll uh, <laughs> all right. I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll post a picture in the Slack chat room the day that comes. We are all all waiting with bated breath. Um, by gosh, I I think I think we've had just about enough fun tonight. Um, can't wait to and and when when that happens, folks. When we see that picture in the Slack chat room, I'm saving it, and you're going to see it on Twitter immediately. Um, I, I expect nothing less. Oh, I can't wait. And to show favoritism, or, or show, not favoritism, but to show affection for your new home, you can get the outline of Minnesota and a couple of lakes. Maybe just color it in blue, because they're the land of a thousand lakes. Color it in blue, and that, put that on your right oh, cheek. I was just thinking, get a boat, you know, with an oar. <laughs> um, is is there's a state between uh, Minnesota and Nebraska, right? Oh God, Iowa. Oh God, here are you are you going to ask me if I would coach in Iowa? No, I was going to say that I was the asshole in in the middle. Oh, 
Okay, that's a lot better. <laughs> yes, and I got to make fun of Iowa. Yes. Okay. Yeah, never pass up an opportunity to make fun of Iowa. Can't wait till we never. Uh, can't wait till we pluck Iowa's finest uh, athlete to be uh, our third string place long snapper guy. Uh, yeah. Okay, we got to go. Um, all right, that's it. We we've had it, it is officially Saturday morning, so you will hear this now in just a few short hours, assuming I don't fall asleep, getting it all uh, taken care of. Hoss, by gosh, it's been a lot of fun. And this... It has. This, I, I need to drink Sierra Nevada Pale Ale more often because this is entertaining stuff, I think, in my own opinion. People are going to listen, and if they comment, and by golly, comment uh, on the Facebook page, on, uh, on coronation.com, on Twitter... Comment if you are as entertained as I am. Comment if you're not as entertained as I am. Go fuck yourself. So, Billy, Billy. God, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you did that just to mess with me, didn't you? Yep. yep. All right. Uh, okay, we gotta go. Uh, this is uh, I'm, shit. All right. How do I do this again? Oh yeah, I'm Greg Mahachko. He's Hoss Reuter. Uh, he is at Hoss Reuter, R-E-U-T-E-R, for all of you L-A-D-I-E-S out there. Um, I'm at TheHooch36. You can interact with us on Twitter as well on uh, uh, the show's uh, official Twitter thing, and that is the number five heart podcast. The number five heart podcast is spelled out. Uh, on Facebook, we are there as well. Five heart podcast is all spelled out. Hey, you just... Start typing it in, and you'll see the the jittery monkey throwing the bones. That's really that. That's why. That's why it's there. I I I suggested that to the artist. I said, "Can we have him do this? Have him throw the bones?" He says, "Okay." He he understood. Anyway, um, I'm Greg Mahachko. He's Hoss Reuter. Reminding you this week and every week that Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale's damn fine beer and that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn off season. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.